In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. So last time we were speaking about the period um, from the ecumenical councils. If you remember, the ecumenical councils were the meetings that were held across the entire world of all the bishops in the church to discuss different issues uh, that were happening in the church, like different heresies and so on. And then we spoke about the time after the fourth council, okay, which is a council we don't acknowledge, but it's the Council of Chalcedon, where there happened to be a split in the church, okay? And when that split happened, based on a disagreement about the Christology, which is the nature of Christ, there, there came to be two branches of orthodoxy. And the one branch, which we are a member of, is called the non-Chalcedonian, which refers to those churches that reject the Council of Chalcedon and the conclusions of that council. And then the Chalcedonian churches are those who accept the Council of Chalcedon. This is in the year 451 AD. And the, the Christological view of the natures of Christ based on that. And we spoke a little bit about what those two views were last time. Okay. After that happened, there started to be persecution of the Coptic church, the church of Alexandria in Egypt, because of the fact that they were non-Chalcedonian. They rejected the council, and so there began to be persecution against them from the Chalcedonian churches. So now we've got persecution between Christians and Christians, okay? And one of the things that was done is the emperor, okay, who was um, supporting the Chalcedonian churches, placed a patriarch in Egypt for the church of Alexandria, in addition to the existing patriarch, who is our Pope, okay? So as the Coptic Church, we have our Pope. There was another patriarch that was put by the empire to be like a parallel Pope because they considered us to be heretics, okay? Do you mind closing that door, please? Thank you. They considered us to be heretics. And so as heretics, we they do not acknowledge our um, church hierarchy. And so they placed um, a, 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 a parallel uh, patriarch. Do you remember what this patriarch was called the Melkites, okay? The Melkites. The Melkites were this parallel line of patriarchs. And this line of the Melkites exists even up until today, right? So in Egypt, we have our Pope, Pope Tawadros II, and then there is also a patriarch from the Eastern Orthodox Church because the nowadays the Chalcedonian churches are called Eastern Orthodox, and the non-Chalcedonian churches, which is us is called Oriental Orthodox. So we have these two um, two lines happening in parallel. Okay. There are some famous characters that we can discuss in this period, and we'll just talk about that briefly, and then we'll move on to the next period, which is the Arab invasion of Egypt. Um, a famous uh, a famous character from this time period. His name is Bishop Macarius of Edco. Actually, yesterday was his um, feast day. He was one of the great ascetics and Coptic heroes of the century. He was ordained the Bishop of Edco, and he converted and baptized many pagans. He attended the councils of Ephesus and the Council of Chalcedon. Ephesus is the third council. Chalcedon is the fourth one, which is the one I said happened this schism between the church. Um, and he voluntarily accompanied St. Dioscorus in his exile. St. Dioscorus was our pope at the time of the Council of Chalcedon, and he was exiled because he rejected the council. Um, Bishop Macarius here, he um, accompanied him. Proterius, which was that Melkite patriarch, the patriarch that was appointed by the emperor in Egypt, 
The Porterius was sent to Alexandria, accompanied by imperial troops, and they went to each bishop alone, ordering him to sign the Chalcedon decrees. So they were trying to force the church to accept all of the decrees of the Council of Chalcedon, which we were rejecting. St. Macarius was the first bishop who was approached, and the saint rebuked them severely. The imperial officer struck him to death upon his refusal to sign the document. His martyrdom heralded a wave of persecution in which an estimated 30,000 were martyred. So all these martyrs at this point now are not coming from the Gentiles, right? Not, or not coming, sorry, from the pagans, but they're coming from Christians themselves. Another famous character from this time period, his name is Abba Daniel, the priest of Scytus. He was born in 485 AD and left to Scytus in the young age. Scytus is a wilderness that's in Egypt where there were uh, many monastic communities and monasteries and convents that were built. And so at the time, you know, now, nowadays uh, in, in every monastery, there's many, many priests, right? Many priests to pray liturgies, many priests that can take confessions and so on. Whereas at the time, this wasn't the case. At the time, this Abba Daniel, he was like the priest for the whole region. And anyone who wanted to uh, pray liturgy, he would be the one to pray the liturgy. He would be one to take the confession of the monks and so on. He was captured three times by barbarians because of his eagerness to live in the inner desert. And he was a pure father to the monks of the western desert and to a number of nuns, both Egyptian and foreign, guiding and teaching them. He guided St. Anastasia, also she's a famous uh, saint in her monastic life, who came to Egypt with St. Severus and was disguised in the man's apparel for 28 years. So there was also in this time period uh, many women who wanted to join the monasteries. Um, and so they would actually disguise themselves as men, pretending to be men, and join the monasteries. And some of them, some of the famous ones, they would live their entire life um, pretending to be men, living in these monastic communities, and only at the very end, after they, they died, it was discovered that they were women. Um, he revealed the reality of St. Anna Simone, the anchorite. You know, St. Anna Simone, she, um, she, in order to uh, not fall into pride, because she, God had given her the gift of miracle working, um, she pretended to be mad. Okay, she pretended to be crazy, and, and in front of everyone. So people would mock her and humiliate her, so that she wouldn't fall into pride because of the gifts that God had given to her. So um, he, he was this uh, priest, uh, Abba Daniel, he was aware of this. Um, he was beaten almost to death for rejecting Leo's tome. Leo's tome is the, is the outcome of the Council of Chalcedon, which declares that Christ has the two natures. Remember we spoke about how the Council of Chalcedon declared that Christ had these, these two natures, whereas in our church we speak about Christ having one nature made up of two natures. I'm not going to go back into all the details of it. We, we spoke about it last time. Um, but so that was Leo's tome. Leo's tome is what declared the belief that Christ had the two natures um, according to the Chalcedonian belief. He lived for 40 years in the wilderness in spiritual struggling. He performed many, many miracles. Another famous character, a very famous Saint Samuel the Confessor, he was born at the beginning of the 7th century by divine promise to his father, who was a priest. He went to the wilderness of Scytus also to be the uh, disciple of St. Agathon, and he was ordained a priest for St. Macarius Church in Scytus. A commander arrived carrying the tome of Leo, threatening the monks if they rejected it. So this was like a, like a concerted effort by the Eastern Church and by the Empire to try to convert all, all the non-Chalcedonians to accept. So they would go from monastery to monastery trying to get people to sign this tome, saying that we acknowledge and accept this tome of Leo. It's a document. 
St. Samuel replied, we do not agree to the tome or accept the Council of Chalcedon. We also do not recognize any archbishop other than our father, Pope Benjamin. So at the time, Pope Benjamin was the Pope of the Coptic Church, and, and so he is rejecting the Melkite Patriarch. He's, ex he's rejecting any other authority over the Church of Alexandria other than the legitimate um, Pope of Alexandria. And here you can see in this icon, it's showing that he is tearing uh, the, the tome of Leo, like he is, he is rejecting it. Also, you'll see that he has one eye closed, and you'll see why in a second. He tore the tome, announcing the excommunication of the tome, the council, and whoever accepted it. He was beaten without mercy until one of his eyes was scooped out and was left between life and death. He left, accompanied by four other monks, to the Mount of Calamon. Cyrus, the Melkite patriarch, had him beaten and expelled from the monastery, and some barbarians from Libya invaded the region and took St. Samuel captive. They mistreated him when he refused to worship the son with them, and he healed his master's son as well as, uh, as well as others. He was finally freed and returned to his monastery. Many were gathered around him to be his disciples, and eight days before his death, an angel announced to him that he would depart to the Lord. His disciples were um, about 120, and they were all around him at the time of his death. I went and visited this monastery in Egypt. It's still there now. And they had recently, when I went, they had recently discovered a very ancient church that was found underground. That's actually the church that St. Samuel the Confessor prayed in, in that very place. Um, so it was very interesting. Any questions about this period of history before we move on to the next Okay. Um, yes. Chalcedon? No. So there was the, the group of churches that are now known as the Oriental Orthodox churches. All were against the Council of Chalcedon. And that includes the Armenian, the Eritrean, the Ethiopian, uh, the Syrian. These churches or all at the time, the non-Chalcedonian churches were against the Council of Chalcedon and their Christological view, okay? In the year 640 AD, a very, very important event happened that changed Egypt forever, even up until this day, and that was the Arab invasion. And almost everything else that we're gonna talk about in the rest of this series is related to all of the events that happen and the changes that happen as a result of this Arabic invasion. So at this time, Cyrus, he was the Melkite patriarch. So he was the patriarch that was appointed by the empire in Egypt. And he was the one who, from a, from a, from a religious perspective, he is the one who had authority. So the, 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 the Coptic church had been, had been you know, removed from, from authority. Okay, so they, they, they were not like, like they had their own churches, but many of the churches had been closed. Muhammad, the prophet of Islam, he invited Cyrus and his fellow cops to join Islam. Okay, 10 years prior to this, uh, he had married a Coptic woman whose name was Maria. This is Muhammad, the prophet, who was sent as a gift to him by Cyrus. Maria was born in Upper Egypt of a Coptic father and a Greek mother and moved to Cyrus's court when he was still very young. She bore him a son, Ibrahim, who died in infancy. Muhammad's words in Quran and the Hadith re revealed his expectations that his fellows will occupy Egypt. The Quran is like the holy book of Islam. The Hadith is like the sayings of the Prophet. It's like another book that's all like the oral sayings of, 
Muhammad the Prophet, okay, in addition to what is written in the Quran. So he had already written prior to this that he had a desire to conquer Egypt from, from before. He sent a man, okay, I'm going to be pronouncing these names in Arabic. Um, his name is Amr ibn al-As. Amr ibn al-As. Okay, he invaded Egypt with a force of only 4,000 soldiers. So he was like a general that Muhammad the prophet sent in order to conquer Egypt. Egypt had a large Roman legion because Egypt was um, uh, like under the empire. So, so there was Roman forces, military, that were stationed in Egypt. Um, Egypt had a large Roman legion with many forts, including the famous fort of Babylon. Pelosium Fort, which is another fort, fell after one month, and Bilbais Fort after another month. So they started marching through Egypt, conquering fort after fort and place after place in Egypt. The Arabs easily reached Babylon and kept the fort under siege with Cyrus, the Melkite patriarch, inside for seven months. Cyrus requested from Amr to negotiate. Amr responded by giving three options. And these are the same three options that in the Islamic conquests, whenever they would go and conquer an area, they would give people these three options. The first option was you can convert. Convert to Islam and you will be treated as brothers, as fellows. Um, the second is to pay a tribute, which is called the jizya or gizya, and be fully subdued to the Muslims. So you're going to live under the Islamic rule, but you can maintain your religion as long as you pay very high taxes. Okay, that's what the gizya is. Or the third option is to be killed. Okay, so those are the only three options that were given to the Copts when they entered, um, when, the, when the, 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 the Muslims entered. The surrounded troops rejected these three options, right? During the siege, reinforcements were sent to the Arabs, reaching a total of 20,000 troops. The emperor in Constantinople did not send any reinforcements. The fort fell to the Arabs by trickery. On April 6, 641 AD, a treaty was signed by Amr and Cyrus, both who are alien to Egypt. Amr is the Islamic invader, and Cyrus is the Melkite patriarch. So this is not people who are indigenous to Egypt at all. These are other people that are making decisions on behalf of Egypt. Um, and it stated the following. Every Copt who does not convert to Islam is to pay two denarii per year. Old people, women, minors, and the disabled are exempt. And the Arabs are not to harm the Copts or their churches in any way. So this was the agreement that was made. So any Copt who wants to remain Coptic Christian pays two denarii per year. During their march north northward, the Arab troops encountered the Byzantine troops stationed at different towns of the Delta. And the Romans had no plan of action and they did not want to fight. Um, because again, this is not their country. Like this, this does not mean much to them. They are like this, the military of the Romans and the, the Byzantines. Facing resistance from the cops, the Arabs destroyed villages, killed villagers, stole their belongings, and took the remaining alive as slaves. The Arabs moved to Alexandria, the capital of Egypt, with 50,000 soldiers. They kept it under siege for 14 months when it finally fell into their hands because of Cyrus the traitor. Cyrus died in his sadness. By the autumn of 642 AD, Egypt had passed from the hands of Constantinople emperors to those of the Arabs. So Arab had subdued the whole country. So, so in a very short amount of time, Egypt, who was already under the persecution of the, the empire, now had been transferred and under persecution by the Arab invaders. 
From that point onwards, Egypt was ruled by governors sent by the caliph. So the caliph, the way this Islamic empire works is you have like a, a ruler um, who is outside of the country living in, in, in Mecca or in Saudi Arabia. And he was directing the invasion and the management of different countries. Each country would have a governor, also called a wali, which would be the one in charge of that country. Okay, And one of the primary duties of the wali or the governor is that he would tax the people so that he could send the taxes to the caliph. So the, the, the most successful of these walis or these governors were the ones who could send the most taxes. So you see that a big part of the persecution of the cops had to do with increasing this gizya, the, the tribute that was to be paid, and to collecting more and more and more money so that they could be sent it to the caliph. So the caliph would be happy with the governor and would choose to keep the governor there in power. Amr granted the cops freedom of worship on the condition that they pay the jizya or the tribute. He requested the return of Pope Benjamin and his bishops to their parishes because the Pope had been exiled and all these Coptic churches had been closed. So he requested the return of the, the clergy to the church. And after meeting the Alexandrian patriarch, he said, Verily, I have not seen a man of God so upright and so majestic in all the provinces through which I pass. This is Pope Benjamin, the one who was in exile, um, our, our Pope. What are some of the reasons for the easy victory of the Arabs and the invasion. The first was Byzantine suppression and persecution to the Copts for 190 years. The country had already been under persecution by the Byzantine Empire for 190 years, so they were in no position to be able to defend themselves against the Arab invasion. Islamic zeal to spread their new religion, delighted by their easy victory over Persia. So they were conquering and they, they had conquered other nations, and they were in this uh, expansion uh, phase and very zealous to spread the new religion of Islam, so they were going and conquering um, other nations. Arab ardent desire to enjoy other countries' wealth. They would go and um, conquer other countries to take their wealth. Low self-esteem of the Roman army after many defeats. The army had already been defeated many times, and they no longer had the will to keep fighting. The empire's treasury was empty, so they didn't have the ability to send reinforcements to protect Egypt from the Islamic invasion. There wasn't a unified Roman army in Egypt, but rather various separate units, so there was not good coordination um, in the Roman army. Roman leaders were fighting with each other to win governing Egypt while Emperor Heraclius was dying, so the government was in disarray. Division inside the empire's palace for becoming emperor. So everyone was trying to vie to see who was going to be the next emperor. And that was like the focus instead of what was happening in the empire. Good timing for the invasion, most probably due to receiving strategic information. Cyrus's negotiations and surrender, thinking that they'll help fulfill his dream. Fleeing of the Roman leaders from their units facilitated more victory for the Arabs and more bloodshed for the Copts. Um, here in the Encyclopedia Britannica, it says about this invasion, it says the ease with which this valuable province, Egypt, was wrenched from the Roman Empire appears to have been due to the treachery of the governor of Egypt, Cyrus, patriarch of Alexandria, and the incompetence of the Roman generals. Right? So it's commonly seen that Cyrus, who was the spiritual leader appointed by the empire at the time, the Melkite patriarch, as well as the, the, the incompetence of the, of the army, of the empire's army, is what facilitated and eased the invasion and made it so that it was so successful. 
What was the main objective? Leading Egypt to Islamic Arab dominion, so wanted to subdue Egypt to be under the Arabic rule, um, and also money, right? The zakah is uh, like the tithe for in, the, in Islam. It's like the tithe. So for those who would convert to Islam from the Copts, they would gain the money in, in the form of the tithing or the, or the zakah. For those who did not convert and remained Christian, they would get the gizya, okay? And then from all those people who were killed, they would be able to loot their belongings, okay, and their wealth. So regardless of which of the three options people chose, whether conversion or whether the taxes, the gizya, or whether just to be killed, in the end it was very lucrative for the Arabs who were coming to attack Egypt. There is a consensus among both Muslim and Christian historians that the number of those who had to pay tribute to the Arabs to be six million. Since the women, minors, elderly, and disabled were exempt, it is estimated that the number of cops at that time was between 25 to 30 million. There is now an estimated 10 million cops in Egypt. That means that there were more Coptic people living at that time in Egypt than there are today, which is staggering. Okay, that, 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 that gives you a sense of how many were martyred, like all throughout history. How many people were killed throughout history? If, if the country had that many Coptic people in it at the time, compared to now, which has about 10 to 15 million people or so. So it, it, it kind of sets the stage for everything that we're going to discuss, is that it was a very, very bloody time. And the, the, the idea that so few of the Copts actually converted to Islam and they remained faithful was one of the reasons that our church was able to endure persecution for so long and still maintain its faith even until today. The Coptic church is one of the strongest Christian churches in the world because it had to endure all of this and all the attacks that were to come upon it for, for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Uh, a historian by the name of Alfred Butler, he writes, Amr's greatest distinction, or Amr's great distinction, is that he was made military commander direct by the Prophet. This is Muhammad the Prophet. And appointing him, Muhammad said, I am sending you forth as commander of a troop. May God keep you safe and give you much booty. When Amr answered, I did not become a Muslim for the sake of wealth, but for the sake of submission to God, the Prophet rejoined, Honest wealth is good for an honest man, a maxim which Amr doubtless remembered. So very quickly, it became about money. Amr ordered the cops to pay the gizya and increase the taxes threefold. The caliph, Amr ibn al-Khattab, he wrote to Amr to humiliate the dhimmi people. So the word dhimmi refers to the Christians and Jews together. Okay, both together. And there were Jews in Egypt then. They would make the dhimmi um, people wear distinctive clothes so that they would be easily differentiated from the Arabs and they would force them to do things that are like humiliating. Like they weren't allowed to ride horses in the, in the traditional way. They had to kind of ride them from the side um, like this, again, to, to, to humiliate them and to, to make them, to differentiate them from the, the Arabs. Looting their wealth, Amr said, anyone hiding a treasure from me, I will attack him and kill him. Dr. Muhammad Amara, he says, it was widely believed in Islamic theology that the Dimmi people are of second class to Muslims. Hence, they did not have the same rights as the Muslims. The cops were forced to, to dress in distinctive clothes from the Muslims, and all Islamic books 
concur that the building of new churches was forbidden and that only renovating existing churches was allowed without any increase of space. Actually, this rule in different forms remained until the year 2016. Up until 2016, if you wanted to build a church in Egypt or if you wanted to expand a church or if you wanted to repair the most minor thing in the church, like if you wanted to repair a toilet in a church in Egypt, you had to get approval directly from the president, the president of the country, for any church to do even the most minor insignificant repair. In 2016, um, that changed to where it made it easier for, for churches to renovate and so on. But you can see that idea from the 7th century all the way up until the 21st century, um, it, 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 how much oppression there was and not even allowing cops to build churches except with very, very, uh, it was actually very rare. Uh, and, and, and you'd have to go and an appeal to the government so that they would eventually agree to allow the church to build churches in different places. And there's many stories of people who uh, were accused of praying in a location or having a church without approval and then it would get demolished and you know all these things happen pretty regularly in Egypt. Um, Amr decreed that cops must offer hospitality for three days for every soldier providing care and food for his horse. So if you had um, an Islamic soldier, right, who would be responsible for housing this soldier? It was the cops for up to three days, providing for all of his needs and the needs of his animal. He also ordered the cops to provide his troops with crops and clothes. This is all in addition to the, the gizya tax that they would be paying. He encouraged conquering Alexandria by allowing every soldier to occupy every luxurious house he succeeded to take. So he would conquer different areas and he would house the soldiers in like the expensive areas. And in this way, it would like, he would be like taking over the country. Arab governors humiliated the cops, delegating to them the most difficult work. They would be assigned to do like digging canals, um, building warships for the, Islam uh, for the uh, Islamic rulers, building new cities that had luxurious mansions for the Arabs. Uh, Amr had asked the cops to prepare a road from Babylon to Rosetta, building bridges, using the wreckage that remained after destroying the luxurious houses of Alexandria. They burned many cities and villages, such as Rosetta, after their failure to defeat it, and Damietta after their strong resistance. They killed men, women, and children without mercy, besides those they enslaved. So you see that in Egypt, from the time that St. Mark came in the, year, um, in, the, in, in the year 43 AD, I think it was, um, and established Christianity in Egypt, and immediately there started to be persecution. Persecution from the Romans, persecution from the non-Chalcedonians, and now persecution from the Arabs. It's like the church in e of Egypt never got a break from persecution. And this is reflected in the character of the church. That's why we say that we are the church of martyrs. Um, so it's important for us in the West, okay, when we try to understand the church and the origins and the history of the church, to understand it in this lens that we are considering ourselves to be suffering for the sake of Christ. And whether this suffering comes in the form of someone is physically coming to attack us and to, to kill us, or the martyrdom is coming in terms of the society, of social persecution against us, of people rejecting our beliefs, of people rejecting our faith, of people not allowing us to practice our faith, 
or, or the darkness and the wickedness that we see in the world around us, we are a church that is used to being in the midst of a very hostile environment. And this is actually the majority of the history of the church has been this way. In the time that we have come to the West, suddenly in the West, you know, as the people began to immigrate in the 50s and 60s from Egypt to other places, um, prior to that, there was really no Coptic church presence anywhere in the world until around that time when people started to leave and immigrate out of Egypt. And when they went to these other countries, they found that there was freedom of religion and they could practice their religion freely. And it was really the first time that they ever experienced what that was like. There was no other real time in history where they had that much freedom to practice their faith as they pleased. But again, now, maybe 60 years or so later, we see more and more there is oppression against Christianity. There is a fight against the Christian faith. And maybe it's not coming with swords and clubs and, 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 and in that way at this time, but it's coming even from ideology. It's coming from social influence. It's coming in a lot of ways that's trying to infiltrate the church and attack what it is that we believe. So as we identify ourselves and, and, and understand the history of the church, we understand how is it that we should be able to stand up for our faith and not be converted to the world. Just as the church, the early church here, they were not converted to Islam. They did not accept the Islamic rule, and they were even willing to die for the faith. We can ask ourselves this question as well. Am I one of them? Am I able to do so? Am I able to sacrifice for the sake of remaining uh, faithful um, to this faith? Any questions uh, for today? Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we thank you for showing us and helping us to understand the history of our rich church. Please help us, O God, to live the life of the martyrs, that even though we might not be called to die physically for the Lord, and yet we are called to die every day from sin and from living a life of wickedness and a life that is far from you. We thank you, O God, because you have given us this ark of salvation to protect us from the world outside and to protect us from all the sinful influences that seek to destroy us. We thank you, Lord, for the faith of those people who came before us, and it is through their faith that, that we are able to have the church and benefit from it today. Please, O Lord, protect us and protect all your people in every place and help us to follow your heavenly commandments. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.